verse 13. 12, 12. Actually, it's best to take this all the way at the beginning of the chapter, but I won't take the time to do that with you this morning. Beginning verse 12 of 1 John chapter 5. He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is a sin not leading to death and I do not say that he should pray about it. All unrighteousness is sin. And there, is, and, and there is sin not leading to death. Verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. So, Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts as we look to this passage. Lord, help us to glean those things that you have from us, for us and that you would impart those things to us by your Holy Spirit. So we pray that you would fill us, that we might hear, that you would fill me, that you might help me not only to hear from you, but to be able to convey your heart in this passage this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So I, I'm, I'm looking at this, and um, I'm thinking I've got about three weeks' worth of work in here. Uh, there's a lot here. And uh, I'm actually going to go back to verse 12. And verse 13 toward the end of this uh, passage. And so it's, this, isn't, this isn't the best book to teach verse by verse uh, because there is a lot of repetition. And so what you want to do is you want to look at the themes. And of course, as you probably are well aware of in this book, there, there's a lot of things that have been repeated. And so... Um, for some people, that gets to be a little boring. But I think it's also a clue from the Holy Spirit that we need to pay attention to these things all the more. And, secondly, I think we need to look at these things with a fresh perspective, with a fresh view. And so, this morning, and boy, I thought about this, and, and uh, I've got like four sermons running around in my head. I don't know which one's going to come out. We should probably get a little bit of each. So, I mean, this is, this is really intense stuff. Uh, because this morning I want to talk about prayer. Um, and maybe talk about it maybe a little differently than, than what we have talked about before. And I was, as I got up this morning, 
And, and I thought, a, a great study. And we might do this on a Wednesday night. We're almost at the end of Ephesians. I don't know. I, I already have all these great studies that I want to do. You know, just all, you know, and we're not going to meet seven days a week. I mean, you guys, first of all, you wouldn't come. Second of all, it would burn me out. It would burn you out. But anyway, there's just a lot of great things that we really could look at uh, in the Bible. One of the things that I, that I, that I, I thought about in, and using this as a launch pad, and also in Ephesians chapter 6, and I think it's right around verse 18, we're talking about prayer again. So we'll be talking about this again soon on Wednesday nights. But it would be really interesting to me to look at every single prayer of Jesus in the Gospels and see what it is that we could glean from those. So anyway, that might be an advertisement, something for you to think about, pray about, put the bug in my ear if it's something that really seems to interest you. Uh, boy, it interests me because, uh, you know, we're getting at the end of Ephesians in, in, um, on Wednesday nights. We're getting at the end of 1 John here on Sunday morning. And we're probably going to 2 John, but I'm not sure yet. But I, I don't know about you, but I'm just itching to get back in the Gospels. Um, and we just came out of them. Kind of. Well, we've it's been how long? Almost a year? Bless you. I think we've been. Anyway, but I, I just love the Gospels. Um, I think they, they really do say so much to us. So I, I you know, I uh, probably ought to rename our church the Gospel Church, but people would misunderstand that. But anyway, um, bless you again. Um, anyway. What I want to look at this morning is what we have here in verse 14, where it says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, first of all, this is our confidence, and if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. All right? Second of all, it goes on. In verse 15, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, this, this is a real great passage to get pastors into all kinds of trouble. It really is, because... Um, when I, I and I thought about this, and, and I'll, I'll, as I jump into this, I'll, I'll unpack this a little bit more for you. But first, I love this idea of confidence. This is the confidence that we have in Him that that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And of course, this, this expression that John gives us of confidence comes off the heels of these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, which I'm gonna. That's how I want to finish this book, is go back to verse 13. And to me, that's like the capstone statement of the entire letter. And, and, and talk about, we've done it before. Again, it's repetition. I think it's good. But to really talk about the name of Jesus. And what exactly does that mean? And so he's making this incredible statement of confidence, telling us because of who Jesus is and because of our belief in him, we can have confidence. This word also could be translated boldness. This is the boldness that we have. The other thing that it could be interpreted, not translated, there's a difference, interpreted as, as this is the faith that we have. Because aren't, is, isn't confidence and boldness really an expression of faith? And so when we talk about being confident in God, are we really not talking about, about, about having faith in God, about trusting in Him? 
And, and so, so John tells us that we have this assurance, that we have this boldness, this confidence, that we can step out in this faith. Now, this is uh, three other times that John uses this word translated confidence in the book of First John. Uh, uh, twice in 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 First uh, John chapter two verse twenty eight, First John chapter four verse seventeen, is in connection with the coming judgment. In other words, we can have confidence that Christ will come back and that we will have a final judgment, and we can trust in the fact that He has told us that in fact that He can do that, that He will do this. Um, but what we have here in in, uh, in in chapter 5, but also in chapter 3, verses 21-22, I'll read those to you. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So twice... John is talking about confidence in the judgment of God, but twice he's talking about in the prayer of the believer and in the confidence of being able to ask things of God and have those things uh, granted to us. Now, it's important that we have to understand so much about, and I, and I think at times we get we get. We get sidetracked about prayer. And, and as I've shared with you before, I think that prayer is, is not just an event. Prayer is a life. I, I want to say a little bit more about that in just a bit. Prayer is not just an event. I, when we finish worship, what did we do? Hopefully a lot. Hopefully you all pray. I just let it out loud. Um, sometimes I'm just going to we're all just going to go into silent prayer and I'm just going to put my guitar down and come right here and that'll be our prayer transition where we go from worship in music to worship in the hearing of the word. And I think, I think there's a lot of value in, just in, in sitting quietly before God and allowing his spirit to speak to us. That is a form of prayer. Amen. I'm not going to talk about that form of prayer today. Um, but that is just, prayer, prayer is manifested in many, many different ways, particularly if you view prayer as, an, as a life, not an event, or not just an event. But prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is not coming, overcoming God's reluctance, it's laying hold of God's willingness. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of God's willingness. And sometimes I, 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 I feel like we, we get into this theological mindset that we got to get everybody praying about everything. And I was on a, I was on a church prayer chain, right? And they had very strict rules because they, the church prayer chain can turn into the church gossip chain, actually. Oh, let me, let me tell you about this person. They did this and that. And oh, by the way, I'm not supposed to tell you this. See, the problem with that kind of stuff is we love to tell it and we love to hear it. But I, I'm so encouraged when I read about it, and I've shared this with you guys many times. Elijah is a man just like we are, the book of James tells us, and he prayed. He prayed and God shut up the heavens for three and a half years. He prayed again and then God opened up the heavens. 
Elijah did not post it on his Facebook. He did not post it on his Twitter. He did not post it on his Instagram account. He did not get on the phone and call everybody and have this big prayer meeting. Actually, if you remember the story about Elijah, he took on 450 prophets of Baal, did he not? And they were having a big prayer meeting. If you really want to put it in the... In the now, they were praying to a false god, of course. But, and I'm not saying we should not share prayer requests. I'm not saying we should not prayer. I think the entirety of our life really should be about prayer. How much time that we spend and that we commune with God. But prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying up a hold of his wilderness. Now, or his willing, willingness, not wilderness, but any his willing, uh, almost did it again, his willingness. Now, a couple of things that, that we have to remember about prayer. If we ask anything in this passage, it tells us, if we ask anything, he hears us. Okay, if we ask anything, he hears us. Now think about that, because I think a lot of people want to, to uh, immediately jump to, he hears us, that means he must answer us. And we, when we read passages like this, we, we start to, I think at times we misinterpret them and we start to think of the Lord as a genie in the bottle. And we found this, this bottle and we let the genie out and now he's going to do what? He's got to give us three wishes. Especially if I've kept his commandments, especially if I'm asking according to his will, and especially as a, as a result, we see this in, in John 15, as a result in believing and abiding in Jesus. John 15 verse 7 tells us, if you abide in me and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's some pretty heavy claims. And... and, and I think Jesus means what he says. So I'm going toward the problem. You know I'm setting you up, right? Have you ever prayed for something that didn't happen? Of course you have. Of course I have. There are things I'm still praying about. Because when we really start to think about what God has declared here in his word, and I believe it's true, I believe it's true, and I believe he means what he says. But we have to fit it in the proper context. Because I believe that these passages that I've read, referred to in John 15, and these, this passage here in First uh, John chapter 5, I think they say more about who we are as believers in Jesus Christ than it does say about Jesus the genie in the bottle. And I, and I think what we really have here is, is this, if we ask anything, God hears us. Now in verse 14, it doesn't say he hears us and grants us. We ought, in our thinking a lot of times, we want to we interject that. So as he hears us, okay, what this does, I believe it invites us to reality. It invites us into a reality. Because there are two things about you and there are two things about me that are true. One is you are probably not as spiritual and godly as you believe you are. Second of all, 
you are definitely not as spiritual and godly as everybody else thinks you are. Boy, this is a good message, huh? Aren't you glad you came this morning, Royal? Yeah, I'm like, this is great. Bring it, right? But, but I think that's the reality uh, that, of, it, uh, of our lives. And, and I've known so many people. Oh, goodness. And how many stories do I tell or how many do I not tell? I know someone who's probably either late 60s or early 70s now, and they've got some kind of ailment. We'll just call it that, right? I'm trying not to identify this person. They have some kind of ailment. No, they don't go to our church, by the way. And they prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for God to heal. And God has not seen fit to heal. And, and I, as I thought about that, uh, as I thought about that, and, and, I, and I remember one time hearing this person pray to be healed. And hearing this voice saying, that's not my will. Of course, I learned a long time ago, you don't go and tell people that. Believe me, it's it's not real. It's it's not well received. But so here's a person at this time, they're in their early 60s, and they want their body to be restored back to their mid-20s. Don't we all? (laughs) Join the club. I wish I could go, I could still exist on four hours a night like I did in my 20s. Four hours of sleep a night. Yeah, 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 you, you figured it out. I wish I could still sing. I wish I could still hear. There'll be a day that I'll probably say, I wish I could still think, you know? <laughs> you, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is, is that God has set up his natural world to go about a natural course and he can override it. He can change things. He can do whatever he wants. But part of his ordaining of life is that life is to be the way that it is. When you're old, you have all kinds of energy. You know? Sorry. When you're, see, I can, I'm, I'm getting old here. I can't. <laughs> you, guys, you guys, you caught that, but you were trying to be gracious. I saw some of the looks on your face. When you're young, you have all kinds of energy. When you're old, you don't have so much. And why should we ask God to override that? And and, and, and I think some of you probably have thought some good reasons in your head right after I asked that question. And maybe they are good reasons. And if you want to pray that you your health goes back to the way you were in your 20s, go for it, all right? I don't care. But what I have learned, at least in my own thinking, that if I think, of, yeah, I don't know, I really still want to pray it anyway. And what I start doing is I start thinking about how to play Let's Make a Deal with God. And do I want what's behind door number one, Right? Or maybe I'd like to exchange what I was just given for this big box that they wheel out on the floor. And we play these little games with, God, let me make a deal with you. Or we pray for something and we believe with all of our heart that we are praying 
in the will of God. We believe it with all our heart. I've done that. And then the prayer didn't, didn't get answered. So what's the problem? Why didn't the prayer get answered? This is still in my Bible. And if we know that he hears us, verse 15, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked him. See, I was sincere. I'm keeping the commandments. I'm abiding in Christ. And it just seems that often it is that in most people's prayer life, I know this is the case in my own, uh, there just doesn't seem to be an abundance of answered prayer. And it irritates me. Which makes me not abide in him, right? Okay, so then we have to repeat the whole thing all over again. And if I truly believe that prayer is a life, not just an event, I have to go back to the recognition that if I am praying to God and I am coming to God with as pure of a heart as I possibly can, which is, guys, it's never enough, all right? And that's what grace is all about. Because his grace is enough. You know, if, if, if it were up to us, we don't, if it were up to us, we don't end up in hell anyway, all right? If we're going to be truthful about who we are as people. But we are saved by grace through faith that is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank God for that. But what I have found is when I encounter these times of unanswered prayer, First of all, it really humbles me. It humbles me. Because my life experience does not always match God's declarations. My life experience does not always match God's declarations. And either God had his fingers crossed, and I know he didn't, Or something else is not meshing in the gears. And sometimes that unanswered prayer, really, we, we hear it as a no, and it could be a, a not yet. It could be a not yet. I prayed for people, and they have been healed. I prayed for people, and they have passed away. And what I have had to recognize over and over again in my prayer life is that I don't have it all figured out. And I definitely do not have God all figured out. And I definitely have to remind myself of what the prophet Isaiah has declared that God said through the prophet that his ways are higher than our ways. His ways are truly beyond our finding out. So what are we left with? What are we left with? We're left with either discouragement 
we are left with a calling, an invitation to step into a deeper trust, a deeper walk with Jesus Christ and, and to further entrust these things to him. As Paul said, I think he said it to the Corinthians in the second letter, I don't even I don't even judge myself. And, and often it is, we don't judge ourselves either, but we like to judge everybody else. Because that's a lot more fun. Or he did this, or he did that, or this happened, or that happened. And you know, the reality is, we know in part, we see in part. Paul told that to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. Right now, we know in part, and we see in part. So if we truly know in part, we truly see in part, then what must we do? We must really trust that God is in control. Now, now, now don't let me, don't let this, the, the way I'm bringing this to you, don't let this paralyze you. Pray with abandonment. And step out on what you believe to be God's leading in your life and pray it. And ask for it. And trust that in fact that he will do it. Now James tells us in James 4.3, it says, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. This is a different translation than the New King James that says you ask amiss. Which we never use that word anymore anyway. But you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. See, that's genie in the bottle mentality. I remember one time we were in a prayer meeting. Well, it was kind of like a prayer meeting, Bible study. Just a few of us. Um, and the, the pastor, he had such insight. And, and, and this one woman says, I want you to pray for my, doc, my, my, uh, my sister-in-law. There's that in-law word again, Right? I want you to pray for my, my sister-in-law because she's not saved. And, and she really kind of, it was getting toward Thanksgiving, if I remember correctly. And, and she kind of went off on a terror about what a drag her sister-in-law was like in the holidays. So I want to pray that she gets saved. Makes sense to me, right? And the pastor said, you know what? You really want her to get saved because you want your life to be less miserable. That's what's really going on. And the, the, the incredible thing, that woman owned it. That woman owned it. And she admitted it. And in owning it and in admitting it, it freed her up to truly pray for this woman's salvation. Not just to pray that she'd have a better time at Thanksgiving. And so there are those times that we, we, we ask uh, with wrong motives. And, and I recognize, more so than me, God recognizes he got, he got what he got when he got you. Right? He got what he got when he got you. And he loves you and he saved you anyway. Right? 
But I think these promises that are given to us, I think they're promises. I think they're very bold declarations. We need to see them as invitations. What do I need to do to get into that place where I discern the will of God? Now, I'm not going to take the time to cover the idea of the will of God this morning, but what do I, where do I need to be to truly discern God's will? Do I truly, so that I can truly go to Him in prayer with a pure heart? And, and, and intercede on behalf of my family, on behalf of my town, on behalf of my county, state, uh, country, on behalf of my world, and really go before the Lord and to really to dig in in prayer uh, and to come before Him with a humble heart and, and recognizing that, Lord, I'm putting this out here before you. Not everything that, you, I, that I'm praying to you may actually even be your will. Matter of fact, you can ignore whatever you want, but it also says He hears us. He does hear us. Like we go on record. I thought about this in some regards. I think at times we go on record with our spiritual stupidity. Really. But that's okay. Because God loves us anyway. And he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And that is part of why verses like this are in the Bible that if we really grab a hold of them and take them seriously and really try to live them out, it's life-changing. Not only is it life-changing, but it's life-giving. Because we respond to a better, a, a deeper invitation to walk more closely with God. And so this is really a reflection of who we are and what we are all about in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Not about the genie in the bottle. And so, if you see a brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, that person who is asking of God, he will ask, that is, he will pray, and he, that is God, will give him the person who's sinning. So you got to get lost in the pronouns here a little bit. Should I do it again? Did you get it? You with me? Okay. I saw that the eyes like, wait a minute. Okay. Uh, so, uh, now I got lost. But okay. Uh, but he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. If you really respond to this invitation, what the Lord is telling us here in verse 16 is that we have this ability to do some really deep intercession. If anyone sees his brother sinning. Now I understand that there was no telephone, there was no television, there was no internet, there was no Instagram, there was no Twitter back then when this was written. But this almost talks really more about being an eyewitness. about being an eyewitness to something. If, if you see a brother, or it could say sister, by the way. Okay, so if you see a... Uh, no, sorry, don't go there. Uh, if you see a brother sinning, stick with the text, Mike. If you see a brother sinning, which does not lead to death, death, ask, and the Lord will give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. What's interesting here, and again, there are other passages, Galatians chapter 6, is what if... if um, um, talks about restoration 
an actual confrontation type of restoration. But there's nothing here in, in this passage in John that, that talks about confronting another, another person. It doesn't talk about being confrontational. It talks about praying for them. And I, I think at times we get we get too emboldened emboldened in the wrong things. We don't really want to pray, but I'm going to get my Bible and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to hit them with my big Bible thumper Bible because that's what I'm going to need to do and i got to straighten that person out because they've been in sin and I'm going to take care of it, right? We become fixers and control freaks instead of trusting in the work of the Holy Spirit who speaks to us and speaks to them with a still small voice speaking in their hearts. And he is so much more effective at convicting people and convincing people than you and I. We see it, we pray about it. That's what John tells us. Yes, I understand what Paul tells the Galatians and that's still scripture and that's still uh, appropriate as well. But John's saying, hey, if you see these things, if you are someone who is living in this in this this uh, um, this context of a real intense prayer of life, remember, prayer is not just an event, it is a life. If you are living in the context of this prayer life, and, and, and hearing the things of God, you begin to pray. And, and for those who commit a sin not leading to death. And then it says, there is a sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should pray about it. All right, unrighteousness is sin, and there is, and there is sin not leading to death. Well, what's the sin leading to death? We're going to look at that next week. Because I think it, it, I think... It's not real clear. I'll give you my best shot for whatever that is. And um, there are possibilities, but that really takes another message really to cover that. So, sum this up. What kind of confidence do you have in God? What kind of faith do you have in God? What kind of boldness do you have toward God? Paul even talked about not having confidence in his own flesh. Not having confidence in humanity. Whatever's going to happen for the next four years is going to happen. I'm going to trust that God's going to be in control of all that. Because he took care of the last four years and the eight previous and the eight previous to that and the eight previous to that. And I think the greatest, one of the greatest callings we have that I think that, that rests on each and every one of us as children of God is this calling to live a life of prayer. Pray without ceasing, Paul tells the Thessalonians. And so this is an incredible invitation because when I, when I come across conflicts in my own experience based uh, 
in, in reference to what God has declared here, it gives me an opportunity to further say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my ways and see if there be any wickedness in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because you're not as spiritual as you think. You're definitely not as spiritual as other people think. But you know what? God loves you anyway. Thank God God loves us. Or else we would be in such trouble. And when I rest in that, and when I trust in that, and when I walk in that, my imperfections, my inconsistencies, don't matter because he who began good work in me will be faithful to complete it. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your great faithfulness. And we thank you that you really are bold in putting these things out for us that we can be confident in. We didn't talk about it, but Lord, we also recognize that sometimes there's that, that getting to this point is a process in our lives. Because we do know that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that good work. And so we trust in the fact that you are active and moving and working and that you were ever calling us to yourself. Help us, Lord, to walk in humility. But at the same time, Lord, help us to walk in the confidence that this passage talks about. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.